right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. Hey, what's going on? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. KU with a monstrous performance over the weekend. Chiefs with a monstrous win. Over the Steelers, both games actually kind of started a little bit slow. For for the KU game, it was the first half. For the Chiefs game, it was really just the first quarter. But at the end of the day, for KU, uh, absolutely dominant outing, both ends of the floor. They held West Virginia under 30% from the field. The offense, transition game got going. And they wind up with probably their most impressive win of the year, just considering the performance along with the competition um, and, and really the best performance in quite some time with a big reason why. You had explosion games from David McCormick. You had explosion games from Jalen Wilson. And I do want to talk about those guys here in a second because that is, as far as takeaways of the game itself, it's it's without a doubt the biggest things that happened in that game for KU. Um, but I think one of the big reasons for me why it's even more important that game that you had was because of the absence of Remy Martin. Um, even at times when David McCormick has been good or has not been good this year, even at times when Jalen Wilson hasn't been good this year, there's been games where when Remy Martin's in the lineup and, and those guys struggle, KU still had a really good offense or KU's still been a really good team. But KU without Remy Martin and with those guys, even in a game when David McCormick went off against Oklahoma State, even in a game when Jalen Wilson went off against Texas Tech, they weren't really playing well. They weren't playing well offensively. So to have that performance without Remy Martin mm -hmm. is very, very important to me. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and I think I would add to without Remy Martin is number one. And then I think right behind that, number two, is that it's the second time in three games that it happened for Jalen Wilson. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I think you know. I think what we saw, particularly because of how KU played defensively, they're probably winning that game, no matter what. Even if Jalen Wilson has a somewhat typical Jalen Wilson game, maybe not a typical one, because he he if he if he goes back to like one of his three points, you know, five rebound games, maybe they don't win. But um, the way defensively KU was playing, I I, I think. Um, you know, I think KU would have won, you know, without a lot of the better offensive performances that they got. But the fact is, they got them, and I think you said it really well. It wasn't just that they blew a team out; is that they blew out. That was the best opponent they've played in a blowout this year. Um, and I, you know, I think KU fans should be excited. I think they should be feel good, and and you want now. Look, I think we could both agree, Remy coming back, that's the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you got a little bit of assurance that at least you see you saw an example. I don't know how sustainable it is, but you saw an example of this team playing really well and scoring a lot without Remy Martin on the floor. And at the very least, seeing that it is possible was big. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not just about, you know, the long term. It's it is about the short term. You don't know like well, we don't really know what's going on there. Like could Remy Martin just be back next game and be totally fine? Yeah, could Remy Martin miss the next 2 weeks and yeah, that that could happen too. And if that happens, we've already discussed how difficult of a stretch that is coming up with I think there's a stretch with with five straight ranked teams if he hypothetically was out for those games how are you going to perform and and against West Virginia on Saturday you saw the potential is there to still be a really good team even without him now they're obviously a better team with him um there was also a uh I guess rumor that circulated on Saturday from um someone who you know I'll, I'll give him this just do like there there's been time when he's had um, some good info out there, some good reports, but also literally just last week, earlier in the week, messed up the reporting on the KU starting lineup. He also, I believe he had, he was somewhat on the Leipold news, but yeah. he also was, but but the same person, was. there was a day where he said, I just heard, like he basically put two and two together that he'd heard something about some big um, catering event that KU Catering was just called into and put it together that that meant that KU was about to hire um, the other main candidate, which I forget his, not his last name, but the, uh, the Army Munkin, coach. yeah. And he was like, okay, now it's, it's got to be Munkin, and he's going to be announced today. There's this candidate. So point being, he's had some things. Yes. He's he's not a, a journalist. He's not a reporter. Um, and when he gets it wrong, he'll be quick to tell you that he's not. Um, but he has had the, had some things correct. Yeah. So you have to, we have to say that. Yeah, so... so I- I bring that all up. I, I'm not like trying to, you know, bash on the guy or whatever. I'm just saying, like, um, this is why the he's, rumor he's circulated so much, right? Because a lot of people know of this guy and everything. So there's a, a rumor that circulated about, oh, Remy Martin's not going to play again for KU, or that it, uh, there's some issues going on uh, that don't just have to do with the injury because it's it's not a um, super bad injury or something that would keep him out, and th- that there is other stuff boiling over. Well, again. This is the reason it's just a rumor. This was uh, quelled uh, pretty, uh, I don't know, definitively. Yeah, definitively by Bill Self in the postgame. Remy is, uh, uh, he practiced yesterday and, and looked great. But he's got a he's got a bone bruise, guys, and 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 you can you know uh, uh, everybody's got an opinion on crap, and but I, I I actually know more about what's going on than all the opinions out there uh, in this particular situation. Maybe not on. Uh, uh, politics or or, 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 or or world events, but on this particular situation, I actually know language than some other people out there. And I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. But but uh, the thing about it is he's got a bone bruise, and it's day-to-day. It's day-to-day. So uh, that's what uh, uh, that's what it'll be. And if it feels good, he'll go. If it doesn't feel good, he won't. And he didn't feel good today. So that's where that's at. Okay, so – um, that part that there, now, Derek, were there some audio issues in that one? Yeah. So the part that there weren't, uh, was just kind of a, a blank spot of, uh, audio. That's not because the audio, um, that he just wasn't it saying wasn't anything. a malfunction. It, it worked perfectly. It worked exactly how they wanted it to. Yeah. Um, so what happened was he said on this particular situation, I actually know a hell of a bleeping lot more than, and then goes on some other people out there. Um, also I, I saw Jordan Gusky of the Topeka Capital Journal. He, uh, yesterday was in text contact with Remy Martin's dad 
And here's what Remy Martin's dad said. I can tell you 100% that Remy has no problem with Coach Self or any other coach player within the KU program. Remy loves Kansas basketball. So He was also, and, and I'll give you, I don't know if you were the one, if you were the one who told me this, Derek. If you want to give credit to another reporter, you can. But I got this information from you that post game, Remy was taking shots with Jeremy Case. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw that from uh, a couple of people had that. And, and to I, be clear, he wasn't doing like a full on practice. Like no. he was just shooting around so that it wasn't like, wait, he sh- he sat out the game, but then. Right. No, he, he, he was not doing anything. Didn't yeah, he was not doing yeah. anything strenuous after game. He was no. just getting loose. And it was with around. AKU assistant coach. Yeah. Um, so, so, again, I don't I don't bring this up to like substantiate the rumor or anything. I, I just bring this up to say that. We obviously don't really know what the situation of Remy Martin's going to be, not not in terms of that stuff, but in terms of the injury or in terms of if you just want to play like the the big scope of things, like at any point in any time, COVID could take a player out. So if Remy Martin's injury makes him miss, like I said, even if it's just the next week yeah, or if it's, which is two road games this week, or even if it's the next two weeks, which features the two road games and then two really tough games that are against top 25 opponents, even that makes it important for how you play without Remy Martin. And for KU to have struggled so much without Remy in the four previous games before this one, especially in transition, especially offensively, to do what they did against West Virginia was massive. massive. And here is uh, David McCormick, who actually was asked about this, like without Remy Martin by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. Dave, we don't know when Remy's going to be back. Obviously, how important is it for you guys to to have a, a game like that where you kind of learn how to play without him? Uh, I think the mindset is always has to be next man up and just kind of uh, take heed of your opportunity. Uh, at the same time, it proves that we have so many assets on our team and then next man up can really perform and excel when their number is called. So I think that's a, a credit to everybody that came off the bench and stepped up. So obviously very important. And basically what we found out, at least in my opinion, is that KU can still be one of the better teams in the country even without Remy Martin. Now it makes it a lot easier with Remy Martin and and maybe this kind of like highlight game that you had, it's not going to be as consistent without Remy Martin. But furthermore, we found out too that if Jalen and Dave do that, yeah, and Remy is back, that's exactly that's exactly mm-hmm. what I was about to jump in and say was, yeah, you found out what's possible with uh, with KU without Remy Martin. That yes, I think we both agree that I, I would not expect to combine twenty or forty two points between Jalen and. What forty two points and twenty seven yeah. rebounds or something yeah. between Dave and and Jalen? I wouldn't expect that consistently. But what we it, it's like like we said at the beginning of the show, what we saw was that it's possible to have great performances and a great offensive output without Remy Martin. And that's exactly what I was going to jump on and say that you you also got a taste of what could happen with Remy if these players are on. Now if Remy plays more. That's going to cut into the points of some of those guys, but um, that doesn't mean it's going to to take away from you know the scoring of the overall team, and it could add to it. I mean, that just what you saw was was another guy stepping up in a second of third game. Now, look for for Jalen Wilson. It's been two of three games. That one in between was not good, um, but it is two out of three games where he's kind of now forcing other teams to think about him and go okay, he might be real too. Yeah, and I wonder how much correlates, too, to just him shooting better. He went uh, 3 of 5 from 3. He went 3 of 6 from 3 um, in those I mean, two I, games. I think it was Newell. Somebody said there there, there has to be 
they're you know like didn't necessarily predict it, but said if a if a great um, correction is coming for Jalen, then it's going to be massive because yeah. when you compare to how poor he started this year to his averages, that if those averages are going to come back to what they have been over the years, then he's got a monster correction. Well, like, think about this. He's 6 of 14 over the last three games. He went 0 of 3 against Iowa State, and then those 3 of 6 West Virginia, 3 of 5 Tech. That's 43% over a three-game span. Even after that, He's still shooting just 21.6% from three. So there still could be a big correction coming if he just even gets to what he was shooting last year at 33%. Oh, he would have to get to 33% on the season. He would have to basically stay right about at 43 or 45% for several games. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, I, I don't know how much, um, I guess, how much you trust this to continue each and every day because we did just see Jalen do this couple games ago and then struggle the game in between against Iowa State uh same thing for Dave we saw Dave do this like three games ago against Oklahoma State when he has 17 and 15 then struggled the two games in between and had this um but certainly I, it makes you feel better when they both do it on the same day I think and, and I don't know I, I I guess it's you at least know that's in them this year that yeah and I think there's something to be said about doing it another time mm-hmm. um I don't know I I, I just I it it feels this is this is easy to say and, and it, anybody would agree with it. It it the the more it happens, the less fluky it seems, which is a it, it's super obvious take. Um, but I do think it. I, I don't know. I, I think I, I as a KU fan and I think other KU fans should feel better that it that it's hap- Okay, cool. Now that now they've done it twice, maybe there's a little more evidence that they could be starting to feel it a little more. Yeah. Well, and I think there's there's two split offs of this. Uh, the one of of what I said with Remy Martin injured right now, and again, it, according to Bell Salt, like it sounds like he's he's going to be back at some point. It's just we don't know if it'll be a day, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. Uh, in the in the meantime, with Remy Martin out, um, I think you know that what you need to be a successful team, you need Ochai to look like a National Player of the Year candidate. You need an All League level Christian Brown. You need good Dave and Jalen. And then you need solid contributions from one of, if not both, of Yesfu and Pettiford. And and I think you saw, to a certain extent, every single one of those against West Virginia. Ochai was awesome. Uh, Brown struggled shooting early, but he was good everywhere else. Jalen and Dave, phenomenal. Pettiford really struggled, but Yesfu was really good. He couldn't shoot, but he did a lot of things really well. And then in the the more long-term aspect, when Remy does come back, um, you know, even when Remy was playing... There still was the the caveat of, but for KU to be a Final Four national title team, you need Dave to step up. You need Jalen to step up. Yeah. And it's it's important the more games that they stack up, kind of what you're saying. They, they do it multiple times. The more they can stack up those games where you feel confident that that's going to be a continued thing, then it becomes a, a very real conversation um, about what this team could look like when all those guys are back and healthy. I do wonder now, if Jalen continues to play like this until Remy is back, and uh, Dave not does even the same. necessarily like this, yeah. Let's say it goes from twenty. Let's say it goes from twenty three points to just like fifteen and eight. Like who is the starting five when Remy comes back? Um, is Remy coming off the bench? Well, I w- I would think yes, and I think part of it if Jalen shows this consistency. I would well. I don't know. Self really likes having two guys. I'll say this: what what helps with the decision is that Ochai has shown an ability to bring the ball up the floor. He's not your main guy, but he's shown to be 
and I, I, you know, I know this people are going to bristle at this comparison because he was a, you know, an all-time great, but you know, and because of what he did. But Chalmers wasn't; he was not the point guard, but he was a two guard who could bring the ball up the court. And Ochai has shown an ability to do that. So because of that, yeah, I think Remy could sit. But I also think Remy; it wouldn't be a bad idea for Remy to sit a little bit because it's, you know, it's you. You don't one. I think if you have the luxury of not just throwing somebody back into the heat of it all after not even practicing for a while, that's going to be good for their conditioning, but then it's also going to be good for that injury itself. You know, build mm-hmm. them back up instead of throwing them right in there. Yeah. So you proved you can play well without Remy. Now the question becomes what happens if you get that type of play with Remy? Do you think Dave and Jalen have been unlocked now and these can be different answers for individual uh, guys or whatnot, whether you think that the the listener, I'm just kind of floating this out there, or if you believe in one over the other, whatever that is, but uh, definitely the most encouraging game in Big 12 play so far for KU. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to talk Chiefs and the uh, rest of the NFL playoffs. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN, klwn.com. KU football had a big weekend as well. Boy, howdy. I mean, two transfers coming into the program, both committing. Kai Thomas, who was the running back from Minnesota, originally from Topeka High School nearby, and Lonnie Phelps, who is a defensive end from Miami of Ohio. I'm sure the uh, KU coaching staff was was familiar with him from his time in the MAC. Um, two guys that have been described by as as immediate impact players. Absolutely. Um, when you look at um, the 24-7 sports, they have their, like, transfer rankings and everything. They give grades of 87 to 89 for guys who um, can be immediate impact guys and have NFL prospect ceilings, and both these guys were given 88 grades. And both of those actually rank as the highest brought-in transfer. And KU has a good little transfer hall, obviously. Um, coming into this, I think they were top 25 with their class. I know at one point they were like top five, but that was before everybody really started reeling in players. Uh, I think coming into this, they were top 25 in their transfer recruiting rankings. This brought them back up to the top 10. They're number eight now on the 24-7 sports team transfer recruiting rankings. So it's a good class, and these are the two best players that you got from that class. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 kind of they this, this weekend, Mark, they got two – Two basically jewels into the crown of what was already a really good class. Um, I think what they were probably, well, I don't want to say that for sure, but it's not. They didn't. They weren't already. They weren't missing high impact. They weren't missing immediate impact players. But I think what they got is probably with these two players more big play potential than they have elsewhere in the transfer portal. Um, I think if you know right they, now from a running back standpoint, they already had. You, you saw some, you know, explosion this year from the running back position, which was great. Um, and then you get you get more depth. I am I am curious now. They 
Um, we had Michael Swain on this Friday, or no, I think it was last last Friday or Thursday. Anyway, and Derek, you brought up, you know, with them looking at Kai Thomas, what's that going to be? What's that going to be uh, or do to the running back room? And and he didn't seem to think it would be a problem. No, and I mean, the thing is, like, I look back at some of the years at Buffalo. Um, they clearly had one guy who was like the guy, like that was Jared Patterson. They still found a lot of carries for the second guy. Like Jared Patterson in 2020, that was Lightbulb's last year, had 141 carries. Kevin Marks was the backup. He had 112. So he got a lot, but nobody else really got more than 20 Yeah, that year. Um, 2019, Jared Patterson had 312. Kevin Marks had 227. Nobody else got above 30. So clearly there's enough room for a run-first offense to have two guys really go off. And and you want to have depth at the running back position. We saw it kind of hurt KU this year when really everyone was injured. Um, and, you know, you, you it gives you more. I, I'm not familiar enough with, with these guys to um, to give you, with the transfers that is, to give you a, a great scouting report. But if, if you have different styles, that gives you different. Like Jake Sharp and Brandon McAnderson were two very different types of runners. Uh, and to the point that Jake Sharp was even used to in the passing game, not just as a little screen running, but he he took long routes too. Did Jake Sharp, even though he was listed as a running back, um, and so if you know if you got different styles of runners, that changes things quite a bit too. Well, where I think was interesting, one of the comments Michael did make to us last Thursday, he said he thinks Savion Morrison could play a little in the slot, and that's the key to me because you can get him, if you can get him on the field that way, yeah, it helps yeah, yeah. your receiving core and everything. Then all of a sudden. You are looking at being able to play those guys. Otherwise, from what we've seen, it really becomes more of a, a two running back system. And the third guy will more so get playing time if those first two are injured. But that is a, I mean, it's it's an awesome deep running back room. It's going to be tough to get playing time because you have Devin Neal, Kai Thomas, Savion Morrison, who is the transfer in from Nebraska. Um, and, and maybe part of this too is an indication that those two guys who would be coming back from injury this year. Maybe they think it's going to take longer than you'd expect. Obviously, Tory Lachlan, his injury was at the end-ish of mm -hmm. this season. So maybe he will be missing a lot of next year, too. And then you had Daniel Hyshaw, who um, was projected to, to get a good amount of run last year. He was announced to be out for the season right before the season started. So maybe he's not on track to get back. But, I mean, that is going to be a really deep run, running back room. You go from this year where you ended up with your backup running back in the last week not being on scholarship to all of a sudden this next year, your fifth running back could have basically been at times this year your starter. Yeah, I think it also, you know, it could be a sign about those injuries. You're 100% right, especially because KU, as you pointed out, you know, KU got a, a, a very distinct taste of what it's like to be missing players at that position. Um, however, I think it's also... Not that any coach before was, but I think it, it's just showing they're not afraid to. They'll just flat out recruit. Mm -hmm. Like they'll they'll are not out recruit by um, over recruit. They'll mm -hmm. over recruit their own roster. They're not afraid to do that, and it's kind of a a a sad you know sometimes annoying thing to say. Not annoying, but but maybe frustrating for players, uh, and maybe sometimes even a sad thing that you're just you know player commits and then you recruit over the top of them to get the program better. But that's reality, and now the the benefit of having a transfer portal like this and a one-time transfer where you can leave 
is that if it is true that these guys are getting recruited over the top of, um, then they'll, they have an opportunity to transfer somewhere and not sit out as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, from a program standpoint, as long as Lance Leipold and who, and the, um, offensive coordinator and the running backs coach, as long as they can all maintain some harmony in that room, um, then I, I can't see how adding more talent is ever a bad thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think philosophically it should be that way. You know, if you want to earn playing time, you got to compete for it. Um, I mean, and it goes back to like we talked about with this with KU basketball having depth. Yeah, if you have good players practicing mm-hmm. against good players, yeah, it's always going to be. But it know. also doesn't make it wrong for Savion Morrison to be sitting here today and going, "Really? Yeah. Like, you, oh, you if, this, he had, you know? if he had that thought, he he's totally justified in having that thought. Mm-hmm. If but, he's sitting there going, "Dude," but it, iron shar- sharpens iron, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, as far as more of the, I guess, the scouting report and if on somebody, these guys. Sorry to interrupt, oh, but real quick. Mm-hmm. Just continuing on that topic, if somebody came to KU, and I don't believe that whether it be Morrison or um, or um, the kid from Topeka whose name already, Kai Thomas, Kai Thomas mm-hmm. if it, you know, I don't think any of those transfers are coming to KU going, oh, it will be easy to get playing time. I don't believe that that's what they're thinking. But if they are thinking that, then you probably didn't want them in the program anyway. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so Kai Thomas. He is a running back from Minnesota. He had 824 rushing yards, five yards a carry. He won bowl game MVP, had 144 rushing yards against West Virginia for Minnesota in, I think it was the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, and, and he was awesome the, the last end of the season. He had 430 rushing yards the last four games of the year for Minnesota. I do think it's interesting he transferred, and, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk to him. I'd be curious to know why he did transfer. Maybe it did have to do with wanting to play closer to home, obviously. And he sees a program where he can. Right, but it's it's not like he wasn't getting playing time at, at Minnesota, and if the expectation is to say, you know, I want to get even more playing time than I was at Minnesota, I don't know. Are you going to have a chance as, <laughs> as a guy splitting with time Neal? with Devin Neal to get more than 824 rushing yards? That's a good point. P.J. Fleck was on with the Kansas City radio station several years ago after his first really good year at Minnesota. And I can't remember what the event was. It was like the Super Bowl media radio row or something like that. But the, the host asked him, you know, I'm like, appreciate you coming on in Kansas City. I know you're probably busy. And he said, no, we love Kansas City because – we have this radius that they set at Minnesota, um, and I think he said it's like eight hour an eight hour drive. And so, my point is, is what the, you know, PJ Fleck has made a living at Minnesota, spotting really good talent within driving distance of Minneapolis or St. Paul, wherever that school is. Um, and the fact that you're getting a guy from there who one was good enough to catch PJ Fleck's eye, and two good enough to get playing time as a for freshman. P.J. Fleck as a freshman and now is saying, and that, now look, I, I'd be interested to see, maybe Kai Thomas is looking at it going, well, I kind of did want to go to KU, but struggling as a program, and now, you know, I, I don't know, I, I just, this is this is really fun. I, I guess I've, I bring up P.J. Fleck because I, I've long thought of him in the similar vein of, um, uh, Whittingham, Willingham, the guy at Utah. Utah, yeah, Whittingham. Whittingham, I like. I view those programs as something very similar to what KU should look at themselves. Mm-hmm. Fifty thousand seat stadiums, but no, ex- they're they're clear examples of no excuse to no excuse to not at least 
be playing for not just bowl games but post Christmas bowl games every year. Yeah. Well, and and I don't know. I'm just I just am generally curious, like why he transferred. It, it is a great get for KU, so I don't I don't want to you know dismiss that. It's it's a huge get for KU, and it's awesome. It's going to help the team uh, really be competitive, and, and, and maybe with some games next year. It's just it's just it's it's odd to me. I I well, do it's, wonder it's, like. Do you think if if Lance Leipold was the coach when he was being recruited? Because by the time yeah. Lance Leipold was the coach, he was already at Minnesota, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. You wonder if you would have just pick KU right off the bat. And if that's the case, the Minnesota's really upset right now. Yeah. Because at sure that, you know, it's not you. You could like Minnesota, like a, 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 if a player leaves because the the coach says, "Look, we like you." Like um um, oh the 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 kid at Iowa State, uh, Tristan. No, not no, uh, Latrell oh. Jossel. Okay. When Latre- when Self said, he said to Latrell Jossel, look, we love having you here. We think we've got a spot for you here down in a few years. And Jossel said, no, I kind of want to play right away. Then they both said, all right, I appreciate mm-hmm. you. Go to wherever you'd like. Have a good time. But if you get a player who's really contributing to you, as Kai Thomas was for Minnesota, I have a hard time believing unless they just have a, a – and I haven't kept track of their recruiting, but unless they had some freak coming in – I can't imagine the conversation came down of, well, you just ran for a thousand yards, but we think we're going to pull the reins back a little bit next year. So go ahead and transfer if you want more playing time. I can't imagine yeah. that was. It, maybe, maybe it was. Maybe they had somebody come in. I don't know, but I have I have a hard time believing Minnesota and PJ Flecker are not really bummed about this development. I would imagine. And then the other guy, Lonnie Phelps, defensive end from Miami of Ohio. Um, I would assume you can basically envision Phelps as a nice replacement for Kyron Johnson. Uh, Phelps actually had more production coming into his last season, which will be this next year, than Johnson did, but albeit Johnson was playing different positions, so it's a bit of an incongruent comparison there. But um, Phelps had nine and a half sacks for Miami of Ohio last year. On Pro Football Focus, he had a 91 pass rush grade. Now, he did leave a little more to be desired as a run defender. He wasn't bad there, but he he was just kind of average there. Um, But they more so did use him as a pass rusher. Like, he didn't play every snap. He was more used as a pass rusher, but that's perfect. You lose Kyron Johnson, who was your best pass rusher, bring in Lonnie Phelps, and now you have your new best pass rusher. Yeah, and in the way the Big 12 seems to be going, passing seems to be, it's not, you know, if this was the Big 12 in 1998, you'd want better run protectors, but this is kind of going, all of college football, and Big 12 is no exception. Um, so, yeah, another another good get. I mean, it, I just, I love the words immediate impact. Um, and, I, you know, I think this is a guy who, you know, had options. I, I, I always like, my biggest thing whenever KU gets a recruit, whether it be, high school or transfer portal. Now, it's a little harder with transfer portal because it seems like now as soon as somebody puts their name in the hat, they get a million offers right out of the gate. And in, in any co- you know, like any program will say, hey, we'll, we'll give you an offer, um, casting a wide net. But my biggest thing whenever KU lands somebody is looking at the other schools that were interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the list that was the other yeah. schools that were interested here. Well, and you said immediate impact. It's not just that. It's future impact. I said Lonnie Phelps' last season – I actually that that technically could be wrong because he'll be a senior this season. But if you discount the COVID year, he'd be like a second year junior. So you could potentially get two years out of Phelps. Super senior season. You could get three more years out of Kai Thomas. These are immediate impact players who could also give you long term, and those are two huge pickups for Lance Leipold and his coaching staff. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're gonna take a timeout. 
on the other side, we'll let you listen in to Bill Self after the game against West Virginia. With Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, this is KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is RCST. We're going to have a short show tomorrow out of 4.30 tomorrow because we'll have coverage of KU Oklahoma, which is at 6 o'clock, pregame 4.30 here on KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. It wasn't just a good weekend for KU basketball. It was a good weekend for the Kansas City Chiefs who took down the Pittsburgh Steelers. Slow start in that one. And um, it started out exactly like when we were, we were talking about the game coming in the week of, we said, that, yeah, of course the Chiefs could lose this game. Anytime you're on the football field, you could lose it. It's, it's just really hard to envision it. Really, the one way it would happen is if it's the doomsday scenario for the Chiefs where they're having these weird turnovers yep. and weird things are happening. And through the first quarter... That's exactly what was happening. Yeah, and that was a little scary. Until, I'll say this, I, I wasn't even... I, I wouldn't say I wasn't worried. I was annoyed. Um, and I... I, I probably went from worried to annoyed after the tj watt touchdown which i don't know if you know Derek, but he his brother plays for that team and his brother mm. his brother you know tackled mccole hardman mm-hmm. uh and then after that tj got the tip that caused the interception and their brothers mm. like their family Did you know their other brother he is also playing plays tonight for, yeah wow they should have brought that up on the broadcast they should have, yeah anyway um after like after the interception and you know, the Chiefs went right. I thought, okay, first off, I thought that interception was Mahomes, you know, tr- just doing, you know, trying too much. He had Kelsey right there, but he tried to flip back pass to, um, or not flip back, but a, 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 across the body pass, I think, uh, for Demarcus Robinson. And look, TJ Watt made a fantastic play and it got picked off. But then I thought, okay, Chiefs are going to settle in here. I, I felt pretty good after the Chiefs forced a punt after that interception because my thought was, you know, this would be a really good situation. Not this would be a situation in which you could excuse the, the defense for letting down. They just came off the field. McCole Hardman just had an ex, you know, a great punt return, and um, then the defense one play later has to turn around and come right back out. And they didn't let up. They forced another punt, um, partially because the you know Steelers weren't good, and then that happened. And um. <laughs> It was just it was it what it what it really was. It was a lot like the first quarter against the Texans a couple years ago in the division around, except for the Texans were actually capable of scoring. They had an offense mm-hmm. that could score. Yeah. So I mean the Chiefs against and that's the thing. If that if if that same sequence of events happened and the seven seed was the Chargers instead of the Steelers, then the Chiefs are probably down seventeen nothing right out of the mm-hmm. gate. Yeah. Or if it happens this weekend against yeah, the yeah, Bills, yeah. right? Um, um and but. But look, it wasn't, an, and and by I think we we agreed on this. It was for you. It was over after that Kelsey touchdown at halftime, right? Yes. To make it twenty-one-seven. Yes, that's where I was. As soon uh, they got the I ball, I honestly didn't even think the Steelers would get to twenty-one, which they did. Well, they they got well, yes, but yeah. they wouldn't have if the Chiefs kept. Correct. The, the thing was not not only did they put in backups, they also put in, and I I'm not necessarily against this, but they just had very vanilla defensive schemes after they got a big lead, and I'm fine with that. I I very much believe. If you've got a big lead, don't put anything on film for the other opponent to need to you know to to see. Um, you know, don't give away too many secrets if you don't have to. Um, and I'm fine with all that. But yeah, as soon as it got to 21, I, I was I was in agreement. I thought, well, if, if the Chiefs if the Chiefs maintain you know full bore on this, they're not going to let the Steelers score 21 anyway. 
And then the manner in which it happened, because the Chiefs get the ball back, and I'm just sitting there thinking, hey, man, if they can get a, a, you know, they're getting the ball to start the second half. If they can get a field goal out of this, um, because for whatever reason, the Steelers decided to throw on that third down, which, thank you. Um, And then, yeah, after Kelsey broke loose, that to me, that was it. Like, you can just kick back and relax. That game was over at halftime 21-7. I agree. Um, that game, honestly, there was a moment in time, and it ended up being very similar to this. After T.J. Watts scored the touchdown, as much as in my head I was thinking, this is the exact recipe for how this game goes for the Chiefs to yeah. have the loss, there was also a piece of me that was thinking, this feels like the opposite of that 20, I think it was 2010, playoff game with the Chiefs and the Ravens. The Ravens were where Jamal the, Charles busts the long touchdown. Yeah, yeah, the Chiefs the Chiefs hold the Ravens to a field yeah. goal and then Jamal Charles breaks it breaks yeah. And as Chiefs fans you're sitting there going, "Hey, maybe we got a chance." And, then, and I'm sure Steelers fans were sitting there and going, yeah. "Oh my gosh, we might have a chance." And I'm sure Ravens fans in that game were going, "We were supposed to this demolish this yeah. team. What's going on?" I think on? we'll be fine, but I don't know. And, th- and that was the thing. I I did there was a big part of me. I wasn't I was bordering on nerve. I was more annoyed but bordering on nervous after that touchdown but more than anything it, it did like it, it, it occurred to me and I'm sure it did to most Chiefs fans that okay this has to continue for the Chiefs to lose mm-hmm. um and and look there was you know you thought maybe it will but you know you're like okay all of this has happened and it's seven nothing and there's still been zero evidence of the Steelers showing any ability to move the ball my biggest concern would have been um, you know, if, if after, okay, you come down and score seven, and I think that first touchdown was the one, the the little underhanded pass to Jared McKinnon. Yeah. Um, I think that was, and then if the Steelers came back and actually put together an offensive drive after that, and all of a sudden it's 14-7, and Steelers had shown at least some semblance of an offense, then I would have been like, uh, this could turn out to be like a 21-17 to kind of game. Instead... The Steelers' offense—that—that's why I still didn't feel too scared after the T.J. Watt touchdown because the Steelers' offense was lifeless last night. Are you concerned at all that some of their weird turnover happenings, whether it was you know you could point to many of the ones early in the season that weren't always like Clyde Edwards-Helaire never fumbles and then he fumbles back-to-back weeks or tipped passes, passes that could have been caught that turned into interceptions. Not just turnovers, but weird turnovers that happened. You kind of think that, okay, over the course of time, that's going to go away. But are you worried at all that that carried over with them into the playoffs? Because both turnovers they had were kind of of that variety. A tipped pass yeah. and then the wildcat. I, I, would, I would actually say, and this is just me talking, I actually think the interception was just a defensive player mm-hmm. making, a really good defensive player making a really good defensive play. Um, so that one doesn't, I don't, that one doesn't bother me as much. I think it was a, a pass that Mahomes shouldn't have thrown, and he should have been smart enough to know what kind of player T.J. Watt is. Um, but I also think you know he you know he just was a he's a great player who made a great play. Um, the funny business on the Wildcat, which looked disastrous from the start. He fumbled it once, and then instead of just falling on it, he decided he picked it up and decided to try to run again. That was a disastrous from the start. And yeah, that one was kind of weird. Um, I'm. I'm concerned. I guess here's here's the way I would put it. I'm not concerned that it's going to happen, 
But I am concerned that it is a reality and that they are playing. Every concern I have going into this game has much more to do with how good the Bills are. Mm -hmm. It's not that, well, these these mistakes could happen. It's that if these mistakes do happen, uh, the Bills are probably too good for the Chiefs to overcome those mistakes. So every every concern I have is all about the Buffalo Bills and and just them being really damn good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair way of of putting it because as you're watching that you know, it's it's almost like if uh I don't know, let's say your kid was like running in a a track meet or something and and it was just like a local with with some of the local kids and um it's just way better than everyone. You know, and you just beat the floor with every you you lap everyone in the competition. But you're sitting there going, yeah, but what about there's this other girl in state on the opposite side of Kansas who's putting up these times? You got to be running against that. You can't be running against yeah. just your competition today. And and that's part of it. And yeah, I think I'll say- um, there really is a big correlation between when the Chiefs offense got going yeah. and being able to establish Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. The first, what, three drives of the game? I don't Nothing. think either one of them had a catch. Yeah. And then they finally got going, and that's when the Chiefs' offense was good. Now, now there's two thought processes there. There's, you know, one, um, how much of it is the defense not taking them away? How much of it is the Chiefs' offense game planning for that? But certainly, when they're both getting it going, when they're both really good, makes the offense a lot harder to stop. Yeah, and I think on the to, to the to the metaphor you just made about you, you know, you, it's not about if if you are playing an opponent that's clearly below you in a weight class, which the Steelers are compared to the Chiefs, then yes, you're right. You need to measure yourself against the the opponents that you, you know, the Chiefs need to measure themselves at a Super Bowl standard. And if you're, if you're going, at, you know, if you're talking about a Super Bowl standard, then we would all be sitting here going, man, okay, well, at least they won a game. But if that game was 16 to 7 last night or 13 to 10, we'd go, okay, well, they won, but sheesh. Um, I think it feels good. You know, we talked about, you know, we talk a lot about, okay, you can only play the team in front of you, but it's when you are doing to your lesser competition what you are supposed to be doing to them, mm-hmm. that that shows a lot. And I think, look, the NFL is, is a difficult league, and it's hard to beat teams twice in a season. And I think the Steelers, even though they're not very good, I think it's hard to, at the very least, it's hard to blow them out twice in a season. Um, and you know, to Mike Tomlin's a smart coach, and I think the Steelers, if nothing else, they learned whatever pl- game plan they came in in with the, in December. They knew, okay, well, we can't have that game plan. So, you know, they immediately have an idea of what they can't do. Um, and and so I, I think it it it's hard to blow out a team twice in a year. Just look at the Chiefs. How many times do they beat one divisional opponent? you know, 35 to 13, and then the other game is, you know, 28-24. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Broncos this year. Right. Um, so I, I think, it, you know, I, I feel uh, everything coming, you know, I, I think that game went as well as, with the exception of, of yes, those those um, turnovers that, that reared their ugly head again. I do think you come away from that game feeling, I don't know how I could possibly feel better. Now, I'm not... Uh, I think you picked the Colts in the Super or the Bills in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I have the Packers Bills, and, and I and I picked the Bengals to actually come mm-hmm. in and beat the Chiefs this week. So I I picked the Bills to lose New mm-hmm. England, which good job me. Um, 
But the point is, is, is yes, the Bills looked amazing Saturday night. They looked amazing. But I also think that right now you feel as good as you possibly can after that performance against the Steelers. It doesn't mean we're walking in going, oh, God, the Bills, it may as well be the Steelers again. The Chiefs are going to win by three touchdowns. But I, I don't think how you can – I don't know how you could possibly feel if, – if, if what you feel this week is um, – nervous about how good the Bills are, that's fine. But I don't know that you can feel anything badly about the Chiefs after what they did last night. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I was sitting here because there was a lot of uh, angst over, you know, from, from the Chiefs' perspective, if you just went and looked at, like, social media or if you talked to different Chiefs fans. I think a lot of fans were also hearing a lot of other fans and media mm-hmm. members just saying, okay, there's, there's no shot for the Steelers. Yeah. And there was fear God, right. I hope that doesn't creep into the players' minds. Well, and, and you see the the Bills just, I mean, they didn't get stopped once against the Patriots. They didn't have a they punt. Were, they didn't have they a turnover. Remarkable. They were fantastic, and that's against a Bill Belichick coach team. And so you start to think, because uh, once you knew the Bills won, you knew if the Chiefs were to advance, that would be their opponent, just based on how the, the bracketing works. Um, so you kind of get yourself tied up a little bit. But there were some good stats that came out there about teams who win by this much not actually doing well the next week and and stuff like that. Um, I think it's important to remember a couple things. And I know you pointed this out, I think, over the weekend on Twitter. One, if you're going to win a Super Bowl, if you're going to go to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to play good teams at some point. And the other thing is as much as, as... and I did it too. I was watching the Bills game going, man, it's going to be really tough for the Chiefs to beat this team as you're watching the game. As much as myself and, and I'm sure many other fans did that, do you think Bills fans on Sunday night were watching the Chiefs-Steelers game and having the same thing? Do you think they were sitting there going, man, I hope the Steelers beat the Chiefs? I'm sure that they I'm got sure they were, their ears right? perked up when it was 7 nothing. And then when the Chiefs went on that run, do you think Bills fans were going, uh-oh. uh-oh. Oh, they, sure. Have they, have they awoken? Right? Yeah, I, I'm sure both Chiefs and Bills fans are feeling mm-hmm. very similarly today, which is, man, we looked great this weekend, but man, so did our opponent. Yeah. I'm sure they, they feel the exact same. Um, I Maybe the Bills fans, it, maybe they have a right to to, um, to have their chest puffed out a little more because they already have, have beat the Chiefs pretty soundly in Arrowhead once this year. Now, I don't think that they're... I, you know, unless they're, you know, I'm sure there are some Bills fans that, that feel this way, but I think there are also a lot of Bills fans going, yes, I'm encouraged by that, but they understand that, that that's mm-hmm. not a guarantee for what's going to happen again. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I, I just, I think you're seeing, I, I think there's a hell of a chance you're watching the de facto AFC championship this weekend. Yeah. Um, now I say that having picked the Bengals right, to, to right. win the AFC, but I was just, I don't know. Now, I, I think, again, Chiefs, we're still, I think we're maybe not out of the woods of our past playoffs fears, past, past playoff fears, and the Chiefs, the the teams that go, that win by 30 in one round and go on the road the next week are two and seven. Mm-hmm. One of those wins came against the Chiefs. It was the 13, <laughs> of course. it was the 2003 Chiefs, um, there was the 2003 Chiefs, those playoffs took place in 04. Chiefs went thirteen and three, got a bye with the two seed. Um, Peyton Manning, the Colts at home, beat Denver forty-one to ten. Came to Arrowhead the next week. The no punt game. The only difference in the game was a Priest Holmes fumble 
and uh, the Colts wound up winning by a touchdown. No punts. Um, and it, so look, I, I think you know, but I also think at some point you settle in. If you if you look, if you're a Chiefs fan, you settle in and go, okay, we're not going to win everything from here on out, but we're a preeminent power in the AFC. And I hope Chief, as time goes on, Chiefs fans stop looking at you know it's still look it, it's important to enjoy the ride, mm-hmm. but it's also to it's also to it's okay to to expect happiness. It's it's okay to expect great things happen for your team because you've seen it. Um, and so I think you should you you know I think in the past we as Chiefs fans would go man what a fun run it's been but ah these Bills are good. And we should, but I think a lot of we, we have every right now to sit here and think we can win. Yeah. You, know, you know, I'm not scared. No, they're like, favorites. We, we right? may, yeah, we may lose. This is a great team, but you're not shaking. You know, you're not going. Well, you, you know, you're not just conceding it and going. Boy, it's been a no, fun year. No, it's not like you know when you have it's Alex like when, Smith and you're going against Tom Brady. And yeah, the yeah, Patriots, right? yeah. When they're oh man, great, we finally broke the playoff yeah. losing streak. We we whoops, you know, we we uh, shut out Houston. Great, we're moving on. We won a playoff game. Oh man, we yeah, we got within a touchdown in New England. Yeah, bummer. We fell up, you know. But what a great season it was. No, you're not. You're not thinking that anymore. No, not at all. But I do think it is important. And and I know you're not saying this. Um, even in a playoff game like that, where basically everyone is expecting the Chiefs to win, except for Mike Florio, um, <laughs> to still cherish and oh, enjoy it because yeah. life comes at you fast in the NFL. And we are not far away from the Chiefs being one of the teams like the Bengals, who we just saw snap a playoff streak over the weekend. I mean, I, I saw this stat. I think the Chiefs have 15 playoff wins. Seven are with Patrick Mahomes. No, they have uh, 16. Is it six? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. seven are with Patrick is, Mahomes. And, and eight, half of them are with Andy Reid. Yeah, crazy. So No, you're right. Look, enjoy it. and, mm-hmm. and But, have, you know, enjoy it. Don't, don't go so far that you just take these things for granted. But also, it's okay to go far enough to expect victory. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, by the way, yeah. before we go to break here, favorite touchdown from the game? Because there were a lot of good ones. I mean, I, mean, I, play, I played offensive line, so I can't okay. um, I can't say no to that one. But um, The Nick Allegretti one? No, yeah, but that one, was it to Pringle in the corner of the end zone? That thing was sweet. The, uh, wait, which one? There was a pass to Pringle in the corner was that the of the first end zone. one. I think it was no. The first one was Jet McKinnon, Jerick McKinnon. Okay, might have been the second. I one. I think though. it was the second one. Okay, um, and then there was the long ball touchdown. But the, the, the long ball. I, you know what? I'm going to settle on the lot. The 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 Travis Kelsey one. I'm going to settle on that because the receiving one or the passing one. The receiving one mm-hmm. uh, to end the half because one that that sealed the game in my mind and two it was it was the a classic example of this offense going oh you're going to get a sack. Oh man, you're gonna force third and twenty on us, man! Great job getting that sack. Touchdown, touchdown, Chiefs. Yeah, I I agree. From like a the biggest touchdown of the game, I guess might be the way to put it. Um, I'll go with the Kelsey TD throw though. Because that was I fun. thought the story too of his his mom. Who I don't know if his mom and his dad, or if just the mom was getting the publicity here. Um, but went to the the game of the older brother, Jason Kelsey, who's the center for the Eagles. Yep. Then they flew, or she flew to the Chiefs game afterwards. Made it for, I would assume, the last quarter, two quarters of the game. I think, yeah, I think she did say she saw she that. She saw play. the play though, yeah. which is is really cool. That yeah, he that's to, fun. He was and a quarterback he, in high school, and she she actually got plugged into the uh, to the um, 
Chiefs press conference. Yeah. Got to ask and I guess question. at one point in high school, he did. He said, I'm going to throw a touchdown pass in an NFL game. And finally, there nine years later, I do think, well, I mean, I, if you're, I, I, I'm going to, let's just say, I'm, I'm going to bring up that, uh, that pass and overreactions later. Well, okay. I, by the way, like this goes back to the Nick Allegretti one. If I'm like a, I don't know, serviceable offensive lineman, I, uh, no, any offensive lineman. I don't know why you wouldn't want to play for the Chiefs. It's not just that you're going to be on a good team with a chance to win Super Bowls with protecting a really good quarterback and, and all these things. But if you're an offensive lineman on the Chiefs, I would imagine you have as good of a chance as any, if not the best chance in the league, to eventually catch a touchdown one day. Yeah, they think, do this stuff a lot. Yeah, the only other team that I think does it equally it was is um, the Titans. Because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's his name, Mike Vrabel knows yeah. the benefits of that. And I think they ran a, a touch, or tried to run a pass for, I, th- I don't think this was a lineman, I think this was a linebacker, which Vrabel was. And they got a penalty on it, and the linebacker didn't know what the hell, with, what was the deal with the penalty. And um, you show it on the sideline, uh, they showed the camera on the sideline. Mike Vrabel saying to the because Mike Vrabel just rolled his eyes and got angry, <laughs> and he w- he saw that he was making eye contact with the linebacker, and he goes, "You have to report." He's clearly what he was saying. You have to report. So apparently that player didn't know he mm-hmm. was supposed to uh, report as eligible. But yeah, I think it's it's the Chiefs or the Titans that that run a lot of these plays, and and you would prefer. I mean, look, Tannehill's been fine, but you'd prefer Mahomes being the guy that, who tosses it to you. Yeah. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk about the rest of the NFL playoff landscape on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till five, this is RCST on KLWN, klwn.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We just went over some of the NFL playoff results over the weekend, but now it's time to overreact to everything that happened with our NFL Monday overreactions. I'll start things off. First up, the 49ers are right to want more than Jimmy G, but Jimmy G would also make a lot of teams into a playoff team. For instance, the Denver Broncos would be a legit playoff team, maybe even one of the better teams in the AFC with Jimmy G. Um, Yeah, that's fair. I think, yeah, I think Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo... Um... He's kind of one of those annoying kind of guys that you may be too afraid to get rid of, because if but if you pay him a lot, you probably won't have you won't be able to put enough talent around him to win a Super Bowl. Um, but he's hard to walk away from. Man. He is, especially he after can, he, he just can, wins a playoff game. Yeah, he, he can improve the, the the quarterback situation of a lot of NFL yeah. football teams. But the thing is, though, for the 49ers, you just drafted Trey Lance, and you're going to have to eventually take the risk. He, is he good or not? But, yeah. Uh, the biggest thing is the biggest market inefficiency or the biggest value you can have in the NFL is a quarterback on a rookie contract. So at the very least, if you go to Trey Lance, having a quarterback on a rookie contract gives you the opportunity, if he ends up being even good or even if he's average, if you are you have an average quarterback but he's on a rookie contract, you can be a legit Super Bowl contender. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you've got a guy who is, you know, Patrick Mahomes seems to be the standard um, if you have a guy who is 
Um, or not even Patrick Mahomes. Let's go back to Alex Smith. You know, if, if you could have a guy who is 90, 85 to 90% of, of Alex Smith, but you can get him at, uh, you know, I don't know, 50 or 45% of the price of what the Chiefs are paying Alex Smith toward the end of his time in Kansas City, you can build a championship squad. Um, I'm going to also keep in with uh, NFC quarterbacks. Um, this isn't so much an overreaction so much as I just want to take a chance to somewhat get on my high horse, although I don't think I'm being too much high horse here. Um, Dak Prescott needs to be fine because he just encouraged people to throw garbage at referees. Did mm. you hear that? Yeah, he basically... He, he, he shamed them. He said, no, you know, you, we work hard for you, da 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 And then when... When a, when a reporter said, well, I don't think they're throwing the trash at you. I think they're throwing it at the refs. He said, oh, yeah. Then, then I can't remember his exact wording, but he, he gave them their bl- his blessing. He yeah. said, he said uh, props to them or something, and credit to them. Um, look, look, I, I fully, it's very possible he was joking. I say I say joking things with a dry, uh, with a dry tone a lot, so maybe he was joking. Um, but, dude, I mean, look, if, if a... If a ref need, if a ref or a player is fined post game for specifically critiquing the refs on a on a play, um, then Dak needs to be fined for that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, you can't do that. It, it, Cowboys got called for fourteen penalties in that game. There are a couple that probably uh, okay, were but kind of at borderline. least half of them were there. Were, it was there were mm-hmm. false starts and things like like. Right. There were a couple that were like, dude, come on. But a lot of those, I think half of those penalties were the Cowboys shooting themselves in the foot, and they, yeah. it, they weren't judgment calls. Yeah, so you, you can't do that. I will say, though, there needs to be more, um, I don't know, responsibility given to refs after a game. There should be post-game press conferences or something, or they should be at liberty to be, I guess, punished by the NFL. Like, if, if you completely mess up a game, you should be uh, yeah. like the same way that a player could fine. mess up and can have a helmet-to-helmet hit and get fined for yeah. it, even though they didn't mean to do it. You should be able to be fined the, as a ref some of your game check. Or the, the ref, you should have to answer to the media after the game. The referee or union. You should, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Um, or you should just be able to, um, I don't know, like suspend them. Say, hey, you can't work next week or something like that. The referee union in the NFL is exceptionally powerful. And I don't know why, um, because other people will step in for that job, mm-hmm. and and it's I don't know I, I don't it's look it's sometimes I I am willing to just chalk it up and go look man, um, football is a difficult game to officiate sometimes it's fast it's big I get it you can't have your eyes all everywhere, but I also do think there needs to be it I I think the more frustrating thing is. One performance, but two, I think, added to that, it's the lack of seemingly account of uh, lack of accountability. Yeah, hundred percent. That's the issue. But yes, you are right about the Dak Prescott thing. You can't do that. Okay, my number two, Andy Reid's lack of aggression is going to cost the Chiefs severely in the playoffs. Maybe even as soon as this week. Now against the Steelers, you didn't really have a lot of opportunities to go for it on a fourth down or something because you didn't really get in a lot of those opportunities. They had a fourth there and one, one at the 50 There was one that we were texting though. about, and that was infuriating. Yeah, um, there's a couple accounts that'll tweet out like what the uh, win probability percentage is affected by when you do or don't go for it. 
And a lot of times there, it's like, you know, they should go for it. It increases their win probability by like one or 2%. And those to me, it's just like, okay, I, I understand like maybe you should go for it, but it's one or 2%. Like it's not, sometimes there is the gut call portion of it. The Chiefs not going for that fourth down cost them six and a half percent of a win percentage. That is a pretty large amount. I mean, think about that. That's six and a half percent over one play. Now, did they factor in? Was, was that a touchback? I think it was just inside the twenty. Uh, see, and even then, that's not that good. My my point is, I I agree fully with what you're saying. I do think sometimes those numbers need to keep in mind. What's the difference between punting? Because that's just punting overall. Mm -hmm. What is your win probability now if you're able to leave them at like the one? It probably goes up slightly. But again, I do agree that that was a a very, very bad idea. And the annoying thing about Andy Reid is is offensively, with the plays he runs and as aggressive he is as he is from how often he passes, he's still really on the cutting edge. But he's in the stone age when it comes to go for on going for it on fourth down. And those are two it's very odd to have to negotiate those two those two facts. That he is so aggressive in the manner in which he calls plays and a turtle when it comes to going for it on fourth down. Um the weekend as a whole, we just talked about that in the last segment, uh, the you know, discussing the NFL. Super wild card weekend was a rousing success parentheses, if you consider more money in the pockets of team owners a success, mm. which the NFL does. I don't even think that's an overreaction. That's just a fact. how it is for them. Yeah. That's the same way why they won't really punish the refs because people keep watching and yeah. you know it's not going to change their dollar at the end of the day. Everybody's yeah. still going to watch and root for their teams. All right, my third one. The Bills-Chiefs game is the AFC Championship. I've been very high on Joe Burrow. I've been very high on the Bengals. I just like the winner of this. Now, I, I do have the the Bengals in the AFC Championship, and I don't have the Chiefs, but it's because I had the Bills beating the Chiefs at the start of the playoffs. Both these teams were electric in the wild card game. It's hard not to think these might not just be the two best teams in the AFC, but that the winner of this game could win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I would agree, and and I I think um, the only the only thing the other game has going for it is that um, it, it could potentially be in Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's always tough to win on the road in the NFL. But yeah, this I would I would tend to agree with that. That this weekend is the AFC, de facto AFC title game. Uh, my last one, low, very low hanging fruit, but we can officially declare Drew Locke the sixth best quarterback in the AFC West, <laughs> behind Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, mm-hmm. and Travis Kelsey. Mm. Travis Kelsey, same amount of touchdown passes as Derek Carr in the playoffs. In the playoffs. Yep. And obviously Derek Carr, like you said, is better than Drew Locke. So I see no fault yep. in the logic there. Okay, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. That is our NFL Monday overreactions real quick. Our loser of the week, Philadelphia. Yes, they lost. Yes, they got killed by the Bucks. But guess what? You made the playoffs and you have three first-round picks. Win-win for Philadelphia. Congrats, loser of the week. With Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, this is RCST on KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, this is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I got to say real quick, Derek, um, Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of you today. You started off uh, 
to be clear, I not you maybe I'm gonna get sued for HIPAA violations, but yeah. Derek, he's he's not Careful. he's not sick, but he did get his booster and it's leading to a little bit of drippiness in his mm. nose and his voice, and he's powered through. And Derek, mm. we've hit the last hour. I'm really proud of you. Well, say I might be horse tomorrow. You might be ended up hosting the show tomorrow. You might be, are you gonna be a pony tomorrow? Ah <laughs> uh, ha ha ha. A Wait. little horse? <laughs> oh. Ah. Ha, ha. Ah. There we go. But Let's talk about KU basketball. Um, yeah, KU plays tomorrow against Oklahoma here on KLWN. 4.30 pregame, tip-off 6 o'clock. It took down West Virginia over the weekend. Um, and we talked about how it was really everybody firing on all cyl- cylinders, right? I mean, if you want to get specific, you could say, well, Joe Yesfu didn't shoot well, and Bobby Pettiford struggled, which, again, like Bill Self said in the postgame, it's, it's kind of unfair that we're even playing him right now because he's had so limited practice and, and everything. Um but as far as really the guys who matter most, Dave McCormick, Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, although shooting wasn't there for Christian, other stuff was. Yeah. Ochag Baji, like all those guys that mattered the most, they were firing in all cylinders in that game. You can't expect that to happen every game where all of your best players are playing well. Certainly and, it's and nice to see the ceiling. When when it does happen, you see exactly that. A borderline tournament team Correct. getting throttled by almost 30. Well, that's like, Villanova, when they, when they played Kansas in the Final Four. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. happened. Villanova had all their players firing on all cylinders, and that's what made that and team so, so yeah, special. And sometimes that happens, and, mm-hmm. and when you see it, wow. Um, but I think if nothing else, you got a lot, you got a taste. Like, I feel good about what could happen if Dave is off, but mm-hmm. Jalen is on. Correct. And that's kind of where I'm interested in. Let's say, you know, I, I mentioned those big four, whenever Remy's back to. Let's say three of the five are on on a given night. Yeah. Is that enough for them still to be a really good team? I I, I, I think would, it is. Yeah, I agree. And and look, Christian Brown, his scoring and and his shooting have also um, gone south, but he's still filling up the stat line. Um, which I just realized we're going to have to move our pick a hawk segment. Is that going to be later this hour or just yes. tomorrow? Okay, I'd say we need to review pick a hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I think you know you can still count on great effort from Christian Brown, just like you can still count on great great effort from Jalen Wilson because he had he was putting up Dennis Rodman numbers for a while. He wasn't scoring, but he was pulling down right. a heap of rebounds. Um, but I I do think uh, you know you you saw a team at its full strength, somewhat its full strength. Um, but yeah, I I think the next step is what happens when. I think we've seen what happens with this team when maybe only one or one and a half players are on. We've seen what happens with this team when everybody is on. I think the next step is, oddly, we the one we haven't seen much, which is what happens when only three are on. Mm-hmm. Well, the one we really haven't seen is what happens when Ochai is, is really not on. I mean, I guess we did in the, uh, I think it was George Mason where, Ochai and Christian had bad shooting games, but they still ended up with like double digits and everything. Like, still found a way to score. What happens if Ochai and, and Christian are off in a, a Big Twelve game? Right, like even those two. Yeah, and, and that's where it's really important that Dave and and Jalen stepped up because in a game like that, if if both Ochai and Christian are off, who's going to be the guys to step up? Yeah, that's that's huge, and and I think we can safely. But put even though they play different positions, I think we can safely put Ochai in, into the category we put um, Frank Mason in in mm-hmm. 2017. Like 
you just you kind of think, okay, this this is what's going to happen. He's mm-hmm. one of the best players in the nation, um, and there might be a night where he struggles, but in all, he's he's I think a guy. Um, I don't know. I I just I don't see him as is somebody we're going to even have to really think about. What if he doesn't have a great game? I think he just does. You yeah. Know? And, just, and look, now, now it, it, what happens if he only scores 10 instead of 20? That's a conversation worth having. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, you know, I, I don't think there's, and, and you may not have meant this, I don't think there's ever a night where he just comes home with, like, four. No. But you could, yeah, you could very well see nights where it's not falling from three and the points he's getting are from drives or from uh, Leia, or um, uh, free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, in which, again, yeah, at which point, point he winds up back in the clubhouse with 10 or 12 and yeah what do you do then and and yeah you're right the the the, the, i almost said the chiefs the jayhawks have not seen that yet this year and i hope they don't have to but he's a college kid i i would think it's coming at some point yeah um i also think the more comfortable that you know bobby pettiford joe yesvu get that's going to lead to some some really good opportunities for you um this is partially in the the aftermath of the Remy Martin injury to where, you know, maybe when Remy Martin's back, if he's fully healthy and everything, uh, between the minutes him and Dewan are going to play, you don't need that that extra guard as much because there's only going to be so many minutes to divvy up. But at least in the meantime, while Remy Martin is injured, whether it means he's missing games or just not playing full or not playing the full amount of minutes, like you need one or two of those guys to step up. Uh, Bobby Pettiford was the guy who early in the season looked like he could be really good by March. Clearly the injury and the missed time derailed him a little, yeah. and he's trying to get back into the swing of things. But I still think whether it's it's next year, it could be you know in the future, or if it is in a month or two, I think he'll get there at some point. Um, Joe Yesfu, that was encouraging. We didn't see him play at all against Iowa State, and we kind of wondered, well, you played Bobby Pettiford, who hadn't played in a game in a month, and Joe Yesfu didn't play at all. Clearly, Joe Yesfu's not going to ever get minutes. Turned out he rolled his ankle and like practiced the day before. Didn't okay. play in the game. Um, ends up in the West Virginia game. Went 0-5 shooting, which for you to for for Joe Yesfu to play more and for you to get peak Joe Yesfu and for you to get what you need out of him, which is a guy who can make shots and create for others by opening things up as a shot creator. He needs to be like he was the last two months at Drake. Uh, February of last year, he averaged 16 points per game. March, he averaged 21 points per game. He shot 40% from three for Drake in the month of March. If He doesn't have to do that, but like those if he per, can be... I would, those percentages, percentages, I think, are more yeah. important than the points. He has to be able to score some. Um, so the 05 wasn't great, but the good news was... I thought Joe Yesfu played pretty well outside of the shooting, which means if you can just get the shooting, then you feel like you do have maybe a guy who can play in the rotation night to night, but at the very least you have Remy Martin insurance. I'd be interested in seeing what Bill Self I'd like somebody to ask. Maybe I will. I haven't gone to I haven't done a press conference with him yet as a member. No, I did that one at Media Days, but I might ask, and I don't want to ask it in like a challenging way and, and make it seem like, why aren't you playing this guy or that guy? I genuinely am curious, what's it? what does it look like when Pettiford and um, um, and Yesifu are going against each other in practice? Hmm. I'd like to know what that looks like um, because that could give us, that could glean some sort of um, look into 
what his you know what's what's his decision process like when he chooses which player over which player. Ultimately, I think you know we know we, we you know we we agree that that self he's not above criticism, but he usually makes the right choice. And so any you know whether one plays more than the other, I don't view it as a criticism. I just because he's a really great coach, I am curious what's what's kind of behind his eyes there. What is it, what's going on in practice between Yesifu and Pettiford that's going to lead to who ultimately gets those minutes? He said in the post game, Yesifu was our fourth point guard, which would tell you he's behind Pettiford. But with the way he played, the way Pettiford is trying to still get acclimated, I I can't help but wonder if we do see uh, a more elongated role for for Yesifu again, assuming if Remy Martin were out um, tomorrow night against Oklahoma. But also it could have been, you know, just that he had more opportunity to play as well because not just with Remy Martin being out, but West Virginia was a team that pressed a little bit and that um, created a lot of turnovers and he needed another ball handler out there. Mm -hmm. And maybe in other matchups where teams don't do that, he won't get as much time. But uh, it was nice to see at least some flashes, even though it wasn't the scoring. By the way, KU held West Virginia to 27% from the field. Um, for a defense that has struggled at times this season, that was, that's a impressive outing. That was yeah. Even in the what was what was West Virginia eighty eighth on Ken Palm in offense going into the game? I think they're twentieth defensively and eighty eighth offensively. Yeah, no, yeah, they're somewhere. Um, there. But still, that's a, a, to hold a college team to twenty seven percent shooting is really really impressive. Um, unless you know, unless they're like a you know a, a, to hold a Big Twelve team, let's just mm-hmm. say. A power five team. And, you know, I, I think what you kind of saw the opposite of, um, well, I don't even know if I should say that. I was going to say you kind of saw the opposite of how the game went against Iowa State because Iowa State's one of Iowa State's score, even though offensively Iowa State's not very good. They have a couple guys who can get hot. Same with West, West Virginia. And I was going to say you just saw an example with West Virginia, the guys not getting hot. But I will say against Iowa State, um, they did have a player get hot, and they still only scored 61 points. So I think more what you saw was what it would have like looked like if KU was good on offense against Iowa State. Well, and I think, too, like the, the defensive side of this, to me a big part of KU being successful on defense is going to come down to just defensive rebounding, and that goes back into the conversation of how well and how much Dave and, and Jalen are playing because those are your best uh, rebounders. So if they're both playing well, you're going to get more minutes. You're going to be a better defensive rebounding team. KU's actually last in the Big 12 early on in defensive rebounding rate, but they were pretty good at it against West Virginia, a team who does get a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, they have the number one defense so far through Big 12 games only in two-point defense and in three-point defense. Now, Kansas three point or defense, West Virginia? Kansas. Wow. Um, the three-point defense could be luck. I mean, it's only 26% is what teams are shooting against them, which that tells you improve. it's going to go up at some point. That, but can, go, that is, can go up and you can still be... The question is how much. Yeah, I was going to say that can go up and you can still be really good. Right, if, if teams end up shooting, you know, 30% against KU, which means probably the rest of the way they shot 31%, 32% to get it up there because that would be the majority of the way. Like like you said, they could still be great. But if it ends up teams shoot 34% against them... Yeah, and they've been shooting 38 40%. I, I've mentioned before like how three-point defense is a little bit of luck. I do think there are certain things that can help it, right? If if they're contested shots, even though 
Guys still make contested threes. Overall, the big sample size would say contested threes don't go in as much. Average height is something I look at because teams with more length, you get better contests. You can contest them further away. There's a lot of reasons why the, height the, could make it harder to shoot threes. The perfect example of a team that can guard threes really well was the 2015 Kentucky team. Yes. It's and, so much damn length on that perimeter. And then the third thing I look at with defending threes is how many are you allowing? Because part of three-point defense could just be, well, if I'm not allowing you to take many threes, yeah. that probably means you're not open from three. That probably means that I'm playing good three-point defense. Because yeah, if teams are shooting 30 to 40% mm -hmm. on you, but you're only allowing 10 a game. Right, it's fine. Then that's an extra 9 to 12 points. This is encouraging. KU is number one in the Big 12 in least amount of threes attempted by percentage of shots per game. That sounds kind of convoluted, but let me put it to you this way. No defense in the Big 12 has faced a lower percentage of threes. So again, if you want to look at that as, as glass half empty, maybe you could just say, well, they've played teams who maybe just don't shoot threes very well and they're not shooting threes. Um, they're not emphasizing that. But you could also just say KU's doing a good job limiting open opportunities from three, so they're not taking them. And because of that, because they're not getting open looks, you know, they're not shooting as well. Which of those numbers do you think is more likely realizing that the percentage allowed is is a is a, an amazing number mm -hmm. so that probably will go up like but let, let's say KU stays in the top 2 in the Big mm -hmm. 12 of only one of those stats um what do you think's more likely what's well, weird because typically bill self defenses haven't valued that aspect as much right so is that a shift in philosophy yeah that could be or is it again like um Oklahoma State they are shooting 29% from three this year, so they're not going to take a lot of threes. We've, we've always kind of joked around. One thing that's happened a lot with Bill Self coach teams is at least one game a year, you get some guy you really haven't heard of mm -hmm. can like eight threes against KU and, and they get an upset win. Um, I wonder, yeah, if maybe they're they're just taking away an opportunity for anybody to get hot against yeah. them. But yeah, but back to what I was saying. So Oklahoma State is... 29% uh, from three. They're 319th in the country in three-point attempts um, per field goal attempts. Uh, Texas Tech is 33% from three. They're 216th in basically three-point rate. Iowa State, um, they're a top 100, but they're also just 229 in three-point attempt per field goal attempt. And then West Virginia is 316. So there's also a case to be made that these are just teams that don't take a ton of threes. I'd imagine that number's going to go up. The three-point percentage is going to go up. But honestly, the thing that Bill Self, I think, cares about most is the two-point defense because his biggest thing is get easy baskets, don't give up easy baskets. If they're not giving up easy baskets and they can get the offense back to what it was, whether it's through guys like Dave and Jalen playing well or if it's through Remy Martin coming back or if it's the combination of both, they're going to feel pretty good about you, where they're at. Do you think it's a big deal? This is I'm really changing subjects here, but... We haven't talked about it yet, and it, it's it's crazy to me that we haven't. Um, I, I don't think it's a it should be a top story or anything, but I also haven't seen. And so maybe this is my fault. Maybe I'm putting too much of an emphasis on it. I get it's not the end all be all, but Kansas is it's four games into the Big Twelve season, and Kansas is alone atop the standings. That I'm surprised it's not being talked about. I think if we were still in the midst of the streak, that would be discussed. Hmm. 
Yeah. Probably. I mean, it, look, it, it means nothing. Yeah. It's it's less than a quarter of the way through mm-hmm. the season. So, and Baylor, I know they struggled this last week. I know that they lost to Oklahoma State, who KU beat. Um, and I, you know, but look, Baylor is still great. Um, that doesn't, what happened this past week does not change that. So, I mean, Baylor, they lost two games this past week and they could very much come home 15 and three in the conference. And those only be, you know, and they only lose one game from mm-hmm. here on out. That could very well happen. But I mean, I just, it, I don't know. It just KU in spite of the, you know, close, scary one against Iowa State, controlling it against Oklahoma State, and then losing what amounts to a really difficult road game and getting bludgeoned inside against Texas Tech. And then one week later, you have the Offensive Player of the Week and you're alone atop the standings. Like, yeah, wow. Yeah. Like, this is a good team. Yeah. No, and by I, the I way, just, how crazy just, is it? There was a moment there where it felt kind of like and part of it, I think it is we we dig- you know, we analyze this team so in depth that it it probably feels it, you know it, it's too simple to just you know it wouldn't fill any time if we just said yeah they're fourteen and two they're good so we really get into the, we try to and I hope we succeed in getting into the nooks and crannies of everything about the teams we cover, um, but I, I just I I kind of did look at it for a moment from a thirty thousand foot view and went. God, they're leading the they're leading the conference all by themselves right now. That that's wow. I just think it's crazy. They're number one in two point defense, despite that Texas Tech game. Because uh, yeah, I guess no I guess the West Virginia game probably balanced it out. All right, with Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.